1: All right, welcome back to a Western Conference version of the 15 and 60 mailbag. And let's get at it right away here, Danny. A ton of questions about just about all these teams, frankly. But the Dallas Mavericks, we probably have more questions about them for any other team. So give us the goods on the North Texans.
2: Well, that's going to be the time we use good and Mavericks in the same sentence. So we got that going. The Mavericks are 10 and 14, a disappointing four and eight since the last 1560. Negative 2.6 net rating overall puts them 22nd in the league, 13th in offense, disappointing again 27th in defense tied for eighth in the west per the 530 projections with 36 wins and very big difference between raptor and elo raptor remember is the one that is more about how good your players are elo is more about how well you're playing now 48 percent raptor 16 percent chance of making the playoffs per elo
1: yeah and obviously they finished an awesome two game set with the warriors one of the more exciting sets that you're gonna see uh, luca out dueling steph curry 42 points for Luca finally got the three ball going Steph Curry 11 threes 57 points uh, of his own as the Mavericks even that set up in Dallas got a lot of Chris App's Porzingis questions here and uh, let's talk here with Billy Hoyle who asks uh, is Porzingis one of the most overrated players in the league?
2: I think there is some, there is some merit to it because the excitement about Porzingis has been more kind of his theoretical potential rather than, you know, like, cause we've talked about how he's ended so many seasons with injury. Like it's not like he's had these huge playoff performances and a lot of that is opportunity, but the theory of Porzingis as a, you know, theoretical rim projecting five who can space the floor, you know, like there are ways to use that to make a really powerful offense. The Mavericks have been a keystone for a lot of our conversations there, but there there are other players who do that now. He is less special now than he was before. And he hasn't, you know, a part a lot of it's due to availability. He hasn't been out there, but availability matters. You know, it's just, it, it it is important for the Mavericks and we've seen that in his
1: absence a lot this year too. Yeah, now he did have a pretty good playoff series against the Clippers last Agreed. year, but he got thrown out of that one game and then obviously it couldn't continue. My biggest concern for him right now is defensively in that Warriors set first. They tried hiding him on Kelly Oubre, and Kelly Oubre had forty points. And then they switched him up to play Draymond Green a little bit more. But we saw it even going back to last year's bubble when Porzingis was more healthy. He just cannot get out on the floor against guards who can really shoot the ball. Where you got to get your heels on the three-point line, and then he's a little too slow. He's going to get blown by. So that's a big concern when you're talking about Billy. Part of his question was, you know, has he ever really played like someone who could be a number two option on a championship team? And I don't think that he has. As I said, I think there have been flashes on occasion. He also, to me, has not had the same rim-protecting effect this season as in past years, where he was one of the most impossible guys to score on at the rim. And his defensive rebounding is actually getting better this year in terms of the stats, but uh, he's also playing more uh, at center. But I thought his stretch towards the end of the regular season last year and then in the bubble was pretty decent offensively but I I do agree with Billy I don't think he's the second best player in a championship team what do you think Danny
2: no, I don't think he's he's been that way, especially because Porzingis' offensive role is not, not he's he's not handling the ball as much, and he's not brutally efficient in all of those spots. He, he makes certain things easier, but I think if he were your second best, you need a really good third, which does happen sometimes on team constructions. But yeah, I, I think that is that is a fair overall criticism, and when you think about the package that Dallas gave New York, they saw him as a number two op- as as the number two guy behind Luka, and it hasn't been that way. Are we,
1: um, pre- well, here, should we do a couple more of these Porzingis ones real quick? Sure. Um, and we'll try to do them quick because we've only got a, a couple of minutes left here. How your evaluation of the Porzingis trade changed following his most recent performance? I think it's... It was looking really good for the Mavs last year. Then he got hurt again. Then he hasn't been as good so far this year. That unprotected pick is looking a little rosier now for the Knicks. And then it's top 10 protected. There's another one in 2023. Uh, I liked it for the Knicks at the time. Then they struck out in 2019 free agency. So lots of twists and turns in this one. But if Porzingis stays healthy and plays... The way he's capable of, Dallas wins that trade. If they end up signing him to a max contract and he doesn't work out and they can't find a, a third star to go with him, then New York wins it. It's still much to be told there, I think.
2: Yeah, and we'll have to see also what Dallas does with their cap space in 21. Because part of the idea was Porzingis, even though he's getting more expensive, that you could still have this little window there. And if they strike out like they did in 2019, then that could be a real a real problem for them to see. Um, uh, from Rob McIntyre, what do you think Dallas needs to do to help solve their issue? Should the focus be on an attacking guard or forward to mix? So one of the big underrated parts of it is just that they've been missing so many guys due to COVID and guys have also been reduced efficiency. I think that the full strength Mavericks don't need a ton. Another attacking guard could help. I think that get, gets the kind of the ecosystem a little bit more viable in their starting lineup. But I like some of the theory behind this team and sort of like Miami, I'm willing to be a little bit more patient to see how it works out.
1: Yeah, and their bench hasn't been uh, as dominant as it has been in past years either. So let's uh, let's wait and see what they do when they're healthy for a month or so here before we totally freak out on them. You want to take uh, one more here quickly today?
2: Yeah, somebody asked uh, if you swapped Luka and Giannis uh, from Fred Purchase. If you swapped Luka and Giannis, which team is better? So basically, like, I, I'll frame this in terms of the Mavericks. Would the Mavericks get better or worse? I mean, their defense would probably improve dramatically the Mavericks are giving up a ridiculous opponent shooting percentage at the rim, 68% right now, even though they were largely playing Porzingis at the four and Giannis has been wonderful in that respect. Um, And the offense would take a step back. So, but I think, I think they would be better. And I mean, I I think Giannis has been a better regular season player than, than Luca. So I I kind of understand it.
1: Okay. Let's move on now to the 12 and 10 Denver Nuggets Uh, on a roll. They've righted the ship to some degree six and three in their last nine seventh in the nba now net rating plus 3.4 despite the absences of dozier and harris of late fifth on offense but 21st on defense so that's actually improved they project for the four seed with 45 wins 96 percent chance of making the playoffs per elo 83 percent per raptor let's get to noah foreman are there wing defenders or three and d wings out there who might be gettable for the nuggets via trade do they need one in order to beat the la teams
2: Second part first, yeah, I think they do. I mean, Jeremy Grant did did some really good work last year and they used the team scheme in order to get past the Clippers, but they, you know, I don't think Jermichael Green is, qu- is quite at that level and I don't think Will Barton is that guy either. So in order to give them a, you know, a, a modestly high chance of winning that series, I think that would really help. Is there anybody that you think of as available, especially if you think the Nuggets aren't going to give up a ton of treasure to do it, that is a
1: good fit for them? Yeah, maybe like a Trevor Ariza type. Uh, Yeah. Well, type. I I hate, I hate Trevor Ariza type. How how about you say this, Nate? Trevor Ariza. (laughs) That is how you say Trevor Ariza is just say his name. And other than that, though, it's always like this in free agency. There just aren't these players out there. So I don't know exactly. Is Glenn Robinson the third really going to make a difference for you? Probably not. And Otto Porter probably makes too much money and is too injury prone. Anyone else out there that I'm missing here? Not really. It's a you tough know, PJ it's a Tucker, tough PJ Tucker, Paul Millsap already really kind of plays that role for them. Uh, you know, maybe Josh Hart, but he's a little bit smaller than you would like. And a lot of these, you know, James Ennis, is that a... Is that really too awesome for you? Probably not. So yeah, there really isn't anyone out there that i see that would realistically be available because a lot of the guys who are going to be free agents at that position are already on the teams that they're trying to beat
2: uh from Thelonious funk do you think west coast teams with assets um with significant time left in their contracts so like jamal murray should be called more in trades for players like beal sure i I mean i think that you and i have talked about the nuggets as a potential beal destination the fundamental challenge of a lot of these star trades especially one where the guy doesn't have a ton of time on his contract is that you also have to wonder whether the player what what kind of the expression they make about potentially resigning because that changes the Nuggets' willingness to make a deal. You don't throw in everything that it would take if Bradley Beale doesn't make any sort of commitment. And so the Nuggets, I think they have to be talked about because they could make a deal happen. However, they shouldn't throw those things in unless Beale wants to go there.
1: Yeah, I think that seems reasonable with Beale potentially a free agent in the summer of twenty twenty two. Uh temptarius the Greek that sounds a little more Latin to me. But anyway should the nuggets target Aaron Gordon at the trade deadline that's another guy who might be available he's not a pending free agent so the price for him could be a little bit higher I guess that you'd probably be looking at Gary Harris as the salary going out the nuggets are already out a first round pick remember they traded a 2023 first rounder to get RJ Hampton this year actually had a a, a nice spell last night but Gordon would be interesting except that he kind of has the same problem for them as he does for the magic where he's not really a three offensively i would like to see him as a four but he also is really disappointed in a rim protecting role he's that's
2: that's where i wanted to go yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. thinking of, thinking about the player you want next to Jokic, like that was one of the elements that I really liked about Millsap in that role is that he can, you know, can get around to the rim and deter shots. And Gordon, he's athletic, but he's not stout enough for that role. We didn't even, I mean, the, some of the best defensive times for the Magic, Gordon's been a three and I don't I don't necessarily love him in that role. Um, we can do this one from Nathaniel Sutton quickly. In the latest Watfo, Nate's main reason for not seriously considering Jokic for MVP was the poor Denver defense, has a large port in his center. If he were classified as a P power forward and having the same season would you change your mind and my my counter to that is what does the team look like if Nikola Jokic is playing power forward does that mean you're playing somebody else who's really who who's slower than he is who can't shoot because then like the that's why those players like are, are like the miles Turner, like this is the turner simonis problem is there aren't too many guys who check those boxes and that's well, why and having... they
1: tried play they tried that too they tried playing as yeah. power forward next to plumley and that really wasn't too successful
2: right so it's the the challenges are the same you know, like if if somebody is bad enough at their position that you have to move them to a different position, that is that decreases their value.
1: Well, and the other thing too, he kind of has the Kevin Love problem. When he my recollection when he and Plumley played together was they would usually put Plumley on the opposing four because he had a little more mobility. Jokic isn't going right. to be able to guard someone out in the perimeter, like close out to the three-point line against a stretch four. Like, that's not gonna happen. So he's not capable of playing defensively anything other than center, but he's also not good at center. This is a good one here, Danny. This will be fun. Jamal Murray or donovan mitchell basically on the same contract going forward uh, although mitchell is i think they're pretty much the same ages as well mitchell's contract runs a year longer who you got Whew.
2: I mean, so Jamal Murray's season has definitely, has definitely disappointed me this year. And I think that there is more kind of, let's call it defensive potential with, with Mitchell than with Murray, even though that hasn't, hasn't really delivered so far. I, that said, I think I'd still go with Murray just because there, I think he, I think he has a higher ceiling as a, as like a score, even if it's a a less ball dominant version and that you can fit him next to more pieces. Whereas Mitchell, he kind of, he, I mean, He's been a different piece this year with with Conley playing so well, but I think I'd go Jamal, but uh, I don't I don't feel good about it.
1: Yeah, neither of them uh, have been able to build on what they did in the playoffs last year and. Jamal's got a little more size, maybe a little bit more switchability. Mitchell has better physical tools defensively, but he really is kind of point guard size. Uh, he does have longer arms, obviously, and explosiveness. I think Murray, yeah, there's just a little bit more versatility to his game. To me, like some of the handoff stuff that he could run, pulling up in the mid range, got a little more shake, a little bit of a post game. So I, I, think, I think I would go with Murray, but it's extremely, close, and really, I mean, it just depends who's hitting the jumper uh, uh, between those two, and uh, that's the part of why it was such a, a classic playoff series. That's a great question. I, I guess I would ultimately go with Murray, but yeah, I mean, man, is that close? <laughs> I, I guess may, maybe Mitchell is a little more durable. I don't. Know. I mean, you're really splitting hairs, though.
2: Yeah, and I mean, Murray runs more hot and cold, but he, it's nice to have the hot part of that. I mean, we. I mean, it's, and it's so weird because you think about the series that those guys played last year, where you kind of saw the both parts of it, where Jamal Murray disappeared and. then was unstoppable for a couple
1: man i just love american giant just an amazing here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear, outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 or more that's 10 percent off at indochino indochino indochino.com and don't forget that Capspace code to let them know that you came from us.
2: Games: The Golden State Warriors, twelve and eleven overall, six and five since the last fifteen sixty. Middle of the road. Net rating fifteenth, but they are a little bit a better than negative one. So like, there's just the structure of the league right now. uh Below average in offense, eighteenth. Even in, in defense, fifteenth. Five thirty eight projects them to win eleven. The eleventh most games in the Western Conference. So that would be just out of the play in. Raptor gives them a twenty-five percent chance of making the playoffs. Elo gives them a thirty percent chance of making the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and Golden State, you mentioned middle of the road. This is something that Anthony Slater has been noting that they haven't won more than two in a row or lost more than two in a row all season. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty remarkable. They did actually, in terms of their raw net rating, get a l- little bit over break even, but uh with cleaning the glass, uh, they are fifteenth. Interesting that their playoff odds uh, are pretty low. Maybe there's a, a schedule issue here or just uh, not believing in the players um so we got a bunch of james Wiseman questions here why don't we start uh, with this one san francisco slim asks would you put Wiseman in a package for a star? And what do you think the odds of him becoming a star himself are?
2: I would I would for the right player. I don't think personally that Bradley Beal is that right guy. You know, for me, it would be the, that, you, that the Warriors could theoretically have a championship window and that that player would open it more firmly. And there's an argument about whether anybody would do that that is reasonably gettable. Wiseman's star potential, I think, has dropped a little bit just because the defense, the reason, I'll only speak for myself, though I know the reason the two of us were high on him was the pure defensive ceiling and most players who reach that really high mark you see the signs more early than we have with Wiseman you know like in his NBA minutes and his and so that to me that lowers his true star potential and I mean he he has these highlights but remember Wiseman is also shooting 55% true shooting as a dependent player and that's not particularly stunning.
1: Yeah, you just wonder what that player looks like. And I think DeAndre Ayton is a decent comparison for him. I like Wiseman's physical tools better than Ayton, although I think Ayton is actually better at staying in front of people. And Wiseman, though, is more athletic, a better leaper, runs the floor faster, better alley-oop target, although they're both pretty good in that area. But I think he has similar issues with his instincts and Aiton has kind of been up and down as a defender I think we can probably rule out the idea that he's going to be a dominating defender and even if you go back to someone like Rudy Gobert even in his rookie year when he wasn't playing at all I remember I was like you have the worst defense in the league Utah like Ty Corbin why are you not playing this guy you're like 10 points 400 possessions better when he's out there and we haven't seen anything like that with Wiseman and then offensively is he gonna post up a lot like he has had a few flashes where he runs the floor hard gets deep post position he's just so big that they have no choice but to follow him. He can get some alley-oops. That's good. Some of the drive and attack stuff, but he goes right into charges. He doesn't really seem to have a great feel for finishing on non-dunks as well. I don't really see him as a guy who's going to be, you know, have all these like balletic post moves or anything like that. So it's... I would very much try to capitalize on the perceived upside of James Wiseman by trading him. I'm not saying that he can't get there, but I think, you know, for someone like Bradley Beal, it would be a no brainer to me to throw him into that deal.
2: Yeah, and if he can be the centerpiece of that deal, yeah, you 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 move on that. Just right. I mean, and that's just you know maximizing the asset. Let's get to the other kind of big big picture question. That's from Tyler Young. Is Andrew Wiggins for real? Never be worth that contract, but seems like it's no longer worse than the NBA bad and. Yeah, I mean, Wiggins has definitely shown more this year. I think he's, this is the best I can remember him looking defensively, offensively, getting closer to being a, a more credible, above average or average efficient efficiency player. The Warriors aren't asking him to do a ton to create for other people. He's doing totally fine. He's hitting shots. So, yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, we, we're not doing worse contracts right now, but the idea of how underwater is the contract, that contract is a lot less underwater right now than it was, let's say, two years ago.
1: Yeah, Wiggins is for one of the first times in his career average and true shooting, but he's relying really on thirty nine percent three point shooting yes. to do that, and not nothing really stands out in his statistical profile other than that he's he's kind of a guy, you know. He's his finishing at the rim hasn't been as good as it was early on. He doesn't get to the foul line the way he used to as a younger player as well, and. The defensive playmaking that he's provided, uh, at least in terms of shot blocking, that has been an aberration. Kevin Pelton wrote about that uh, in response to my question, and basically his shot blocking improvement is unprecedented, which makes you think maybe it's going to regress, although shot blocking isn't something that's the same as like shooting from the field or anything like that. So it's, I don't want to get too far out over our skis, I am in Montana skiing right now after all, Uh, but it I think he could be competent there he also doesn't rebound at all and this team sucks on the boards that's a, another problem that he has i think you know but at least he is a guy you can throw out there defensively where he's gonna acquit himself okay and teams aren't gonna be like all right we're just gonna go after this guy he's not gonna just get overwhelmed in a one-on-one matchup he can hit a shot he can get out and transition a little bit so yeah is that kind of a player a 15 million dollar player a 20 million dollar player i just i wonder what happens if and when the three-point shooting regresses
2: do this one briefly from option zero uh did the warriors get an early pass i don't know if they mean like a a, a cheap pass or whatever for a, a free pass for how poorly the roster was constructed clay out and chris and you know, a lot of others claimed as dinoj Capule. and i think yes to i mean you and i criticized it but the there are parallels to, to their 2019 offseason where it's like why is this the team that you're putting together when you know the constraints and both unfortunately both times they've known clay was going to be out for the year and both times it related to having roster spots tied up in guys that clearly were not nba players and that don't have the the upside necessary like you can have a roster spot or two tied up in guys that aren't there yet but i don't think of smiley Geach in particular as being worth that the warriors at least members of their front office have believed that he is i have not seen that at all and once you have one guy out and you have at least one but more often two plus players that aren't contributing, you basically need everybody else to be good and healthy in order to be viable. All
1: right, a couple of quick hitters here. I'll just roll through a a few of these. A bunch of questions about Uber. I still think Uber has... I mean, he did have 40 points the other day. That's a, an aberration. But the athleticism that he provides, if like there's talk of trading him for Lonzo Ball, I, you know, that's one where I'm not really sure what the right answer is there. I guess maybe it's Lonzo just because he's a restricted free agent and UpRay isn't, and that's the tiebreaker. But Ubre plays a more valuable position and... and- yeah, you know it's just it's tough for their starting lineup i think as a sixth man next to clay thompson Oubre, which was i would imagine that trade was agreed to by the way before they knew about clay thompson's injury um so so i i i guess he he's fine uh and i wouldn't try to move off of him necessarily and just kind of see what happens hopefully he continues to uh rediscover his shot a little bit
2: yeah Ubre is a better shooter than he's been but the I, the warriors offense often requires guys like making quick decisions and reactions whether they do it by reading it or by just knowing what's coming and that has taken a while for uber to get but i mean he'll be he'll be better offensively than he has been so far i think that i think that almost that even even Oubre cynics would believe that he can that he'll shoot better than he has so let's move on to the rockets now yeah i mean the rockets continuing to impress 11 and 11 7 and 4 since the last 15 and 60 and it's largely fueled by their defense Rock, Rock, rockets are 11th in net rating plus 1.8 20 second offense and a remarkable third in defensive rating 538 projects them to finish tied for eighth in the West and Raptor 45% chance of making the playoffs ELO 74% because they played so well recently they had that stretch where I think they won it was six in a row and then they hadn't they they had a loss shortly thereafter to the Spurs which unfortunately was the last was the game that I watched and they had they had some challenges in that one.
1: All right. Let's start here from uh, C. Lee. Who would some ideal players be to pair with one Christian Wood in the front court long term, and where would Aaron Gordon rank on the list?
2: So I think the the part that I want to play game out with you is we know Christian Wood is limited defensively. What kind of system do you think he is? Let's call it best or not worst. In,
1: yeah, the Rockets have still been doing a lot of switching. They kind of have that in their DNA. They've got a player like PJ Tucker, who is, and Eric Gordon, who are both versed in that system and have the body type to be decent at it. I still, Wood's defense to me is one of the bigger question marks of the rest of the season. And sadly, just when I was like, all right, I'm going to really lock in on this and watch a game of him and, and. You know, now that they really have their full team together with Oladipo and all these guys, then of course he gets injured and he's week to week now with that ankle injury. So I'm not willing to say that he can't be good. You know, they have had some pretty good defensive moments uh, with him on the floor, but I do think that the number one thing that you need with Wood is you got to have a solid shooter uh, and someone probably a relatively low usage guy as well and maybe someone who can do a little bit of switching i think pj tucker in the short term is a very good fit with him
2: yeah i think but, i think tucker's a good fit but there's the question about whether tucker will be there beyond this season that is a real challenge and, and yeah i think going with somebody who opponents have because if you think that you want wood in the primary action like as a screener then that means the other big needs to be able to stand away and be guarded and that is a that is a a high bar for a lot of these guys and you know cuz that's that's not only about making them it's about taking them too but i agree with you on kind of the low usage i don't know yeah. that there's Could,
1: i was going to say cuz what makes him special is his ability to either shoot the ball attack a mismatch or roll to the rim for a dunk and if you have another big out there who can't shoot you're taking away a lot of that and you're sort of you're doing the carl anthony towns where because this guy can shoot now you're saddling him with these guys who aren't good offensively and like expecting his shooting to kind of carry them which i i hate i like to see guys like that with a versatile skill set optimized to do all of the things that they can do
2: right um from from holden um what do you what do you think are realistic packages the rockets can get for ladipo there been any rumblings i have Really heard much, you know, in, in terms of that, and with Ola Depot, I mean, I don't think anybody should give up a ton to get him those bird rights are not, are not super valuable and this came up in i think this was a of the the mailbag we did one of the ones for um early in the week is just
1: yeah downtown prime for yeah.
2: downtown prime is that this version of oladipo were are far enough out from the injury that i think it's fair to say like we're in a small sample size but like that this is closer to the player we expect at least moving forward than last year and this player hasn't been near that same level so if i were miami or new orleans or any any of these teams i wouldn't be giving up the farm to get Oladipo's bird rights, not at all
0: no
1: and as we talked about earlier in the week he just has not been efficient and is really doesn't seem to be in the right mindset to be more of a contributor on a winning team so that that situation bears monitoring but it doesn't i don't really see a team that needs him at this point in time maybe a team that does a really bad offense and needs some shot creation but
2: i want to spend a little bit of time on this one from uh bball life 767 if you were the rockets gm what would you be doing to build back towards long-term high-level success and and that starts with evaluating the, the players that you have on roster and thinking about, well, okay, who could be a part of the next great Rockets team? And the bad news for Houston is I don't think that they're they're close to that. I think that while Wall has been better physically than I anticipated and Gordon has had some real bright moments as well, this group probably isn't quite there. And when it's going to take time... That is when I would encourage a more aggressive selling because that means players like PJ Tucker aren't going to be around for that next great team. And so then, if you can get value for them, do it. Now, that doesn't mean give them away for nothing, but when you're not ready yet, this, you know, the Cavs, I would say, are in this situation as well. When you're not there yet, you want to take a little bit of extra time where not only are you getting assets for those players, but also you're getting good draft picks, hoping to build the foundation to be strong enough. Because if you jump too early, then you're just going to be short. You're going to be short it's stacked for a long time
1: Yeah, it really depends what Tillman Fertitta wants. Does he want to prove that they can have a decent team without James Harden? That appears to be within his grasp the way that they have played so far. But you also want to try to rebuild before you owe these picks in 24 and 25 as well. And I don't think Christian Wood is viewed as the foundation of a high-level playoff team. Eric Gordon is playing well right now. You may want to move him while he could potentially have some value. I think there's a lot of teams that could really use Eric Gordon right now. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since...
0: now let's get to the 17 and
1: 8 la clippers they are eight and four in their last 12 john schumann had this stat that they are five and seven in games decided by five points or less and 12 and one in games decided by more than five points the one loss being of course that 50 point smash by the mavericks and they are fourth in the nba net rating 7.0 offense they are second 119.5 they've been very shooting dependent but it hasn't come down much and then on defense they are been getting better they were in the mid-20s now they're up to 18th they project for 50 wins which would be third in the conference behind the lakers and utah 99% chance to the playoffs per raptor 96% chance per elo what we got for questions
2: a lot of the questions are based around the point guard position. And um, so we'll, I'll take the one from Hot Take Gabe 407. Is there a point guard upgrade that the Clippers can actually make that would make them a more solid contender? And I think there, there are a couple of different kind of ways this is done. And so for me, the way to, to frame this is, what is the archetype of player that you're looking for? And then we can see if anybody fits in. So for me, you want somebody who will take and make open shots. So that means somebody who can function on and off ball and can credibly defend their position. So I don't particularly like Eric Bledsoe for them. I don't like Lonzo Ball for them just because Lonzo's... Lim- he's limitations in the half quarter there. Defensively, that'd actually be kind of interesting. Uh... And then also the Clippers are incredibly asset poor so in terms of matching salary or in terms of, you know, actual trade tradable assets. So like, I don't think they can get a like they can get a deal for somebody who's like pretty good right now. Um, I, I mean, as small as it would be, I don't know if the Spurs are interested in selling Patty Mills. I'd be interested in that fit.
1: Yeah. Now they are second in offense already. I think they are very difficult to stop, particularly with Serge Ibaka now spreading the floor at the center position. Few teams have someone to guard PG and Kawhi and Serge Ibaka actually has a pretty high usage as well. Generally, any kind of a offensive point guard that you're gonna get is gonna be a defensive downgrade, particularly on Patrick Beverly, who's been out for quite some time with this knee soreness issue. Do you want to go for a similar play? Like, I like the idea of Patty Mills too, but he gives teams a size guide to attack. He's not gonna be as bad as Lou Williams, but it still gives teams somewhere to go after. I think part of why this team can be a better defensive group in the playoffs is that with Batum, Morris, Kawhi. PG Ibaka has got some pretty good mobility you've really got a lot of different things that you can do defensively and so you put a small little guard out there as opposed to Patrick Beverly who can do some pretty decent switching. And you kind of lose that ability. So I,
2: I, know I that, have one for yeah, you. Yeah. I, he's not the same level of creator, but George Hill checks yeah, the. A couple I was going
1: to I was going to get to him. Yeah. I mean, and, and but obviously it depends what the price is because they can't trade a first round pick right now, and they shouldn't for someone like George Hill.
2: Yeah, and their young players are not exactly strong assets. Maybe Sam Preston would be interested in somebody like Terrence Mann. Possibly that would that could be that could be a way of doing it. And George Hill, you know, it is kind of a it depends on what other teams offer as well. Um, we could do this one for Rob McIntyre. Why are the Clippers perceived as significant underdogs to the Lakers in the playoffs? And it goes through head-to-head and some of the other stuff. And I I mean, granted, I picked the Clippers to win the championship this year. I am I am in largely in line with Rob. And I especially you think about like the net rating stuff, that demolition at the hands of the Mavericks is there. The Clippers have been incredibly hot and cold, but a big part of it is They have failed in a big, big way in the playoffs and people will remember that. But if we're talking about like the fundamentals of the team, I I think the Clippers are in that conversation and I think they're they're well built to beat the Lakers. But the problem is nobody's going to believe it until we see it and there's no chance that we see it until then.
1: Yeah, I think that series would be very close to a toss up. Uh, so I agree with Rob in that respect I think that the Clippers to me match up better against the Lakers I mean I really want to see the Nets against uh, the Lakers as well but the Clippers are one team that I think can kind of cause the Lakers some problems they don't have that ace wing defender you're gonna force LeBron to guard I think they can really cause some problems for Schroeder defensively with his size and so that is the the Lakers got by really last year without being that quote-unquote modern of a team compared to like the those Cavs and Warriors teams and even the Raptors I would say too that were had a lot more versatility the Lakers didn't have a ton of, of versatility last year but they were so good and they had an easy enough slate that it ultimately didn't end up mattering and I think the Clippers might be the one team where they have enough different looks and they can force the Lakers to go small and then maybe they just don't have enough in terms of solid wing guys uh, I probably would pick the Lakers but Paul George playing a lot better this year is extremely encouraging for the Clippers and yeah, I, I think that would be a classic series as I look at it right now.
2: So I think we'll just briefly do this question from at um, the Vengeance 6 and I'll toss this to you because I've kind of tossed it. Do the Clippers still need a playmaking point guard? We, we talked about the fit and who they could go after, but do you think that's a need for this team?
1: Yeah, I kind of hit on that already where, yeah, sure, if, if you could put, God, I don't know. I mean, who would you even be, like Ricky Rubio or something? Who is the guy... That you're just like oh yeah this this guy i mean obviously they're not getting some superstar would it be eric Bledsoe? would it be lonzo ball is that the kind of player is he that really much better than patrick beverly i, I think you know beverly is a more reliable shooter than either of those guys now if this knee issue lingers for beverly which is certainly a possibility given his history then maybe you do need something but I, I still feel like you've got enough offensively with good spacing and Kawhi and pg and i think nick batum as a passer adds a little bit you know his development to me this year into an effective player has been a big part of why they haven't needed that point guard guy i think that's you know Kawhi kind of wants one but yeah okay if they could get Kyle Lowry Danny that would be amazing right but but they just don't have anyone to I I guess Marcus Morris would have to be in that deal maybe Lou Williams that could probably get you pretty close but then what are the assets going forward and like do the reps want another three years of Marcus Morris at 16 million per I don't think so so yes if you could get Kyle Lowry obviously that would be a massive upgrade I just anyone who's realistically available I just do not see it uh let's move on to their crosstown rivals
2: yeah the Lakers are 18 and six, seven and three, including that ridiculous double overtime game against the Pistons, which I watched the entire last, like, 30 minutes of on Saturday. The um, Lakers are third in net rating, plus 9.3, seventh in offense, numero uno in defense, and projected to have the best record in the Western Conference. They're going to make the playoffs. And I'll start with this question, just because I, I it's it's kind of good to get to, from NBA Talk, US, so Australia presumably, are the Lakers better off not playing Harold when it comes to the playoffs? And that That is a more extreme version of my criticism. I would say that the Lakers' best lineups will not have Harrell in them, but I do think that there is time for him to play. It was an aberration how poorly Harrell fared in the playoffs. That said, the Lakers are at their best when Anthony Davis is playing at center, and I am concerned that Frank Vogel will play Harrell too much. So the answer is they're better off having him in the rotation, but I think he'll play more than I would prefer.
1: I think where it really becomes a problem with Harrell is against a good spread pick and roll team. Like I think against the Jazz, Harrell would really be a massive problem for them. Against the Clippers, I think they might be able to get by with him a a little bit because the Clippers are not an amazing spread pick and roll team. And they don't have like great passing, great shooting. They're not going to put him in space, force him to protect the rim. So I think it really depends a lot on the matchup. But overall, yeah, I do think that he adds off that they don't really need Anthony Davis is maybe the greatest pick and roll player of all time as a a big you know he's right up there with Amari Sotomayor but AD might even have a little bit better of of a jumper and be a better passer than Sotomayor and then So if you're going to play him with AD and AD is going to play 40 minutes a game, that kind of doesn't really make that much sense to me to just put AD on the perimeter so Montrose Harrell can go to work in the pick and roll or in isolation instead. So it's the redundancy on offense with Davis and then also the fact that he doesn't add additional defensive rebounding or shot blocking or rim protection or pick and roll defense. But I think there are times when, you know, in the first round, I could see him having like a big series against, you know, like Golden State or something.
2: Can go to this one from Collings Anthony. A fair bit of buzz about uh, Taylor Horton Tucker at the moment, assuming that holds up, what kind of contract could he get And I've enjoyed watching Horton Tucker. He, he, He was somebody that I didn't know about coming out of Iowa State. And he shows an interesting kind of, in a weird way, in different parts, kind of like Kuzma, where I've been surprised by the amount of craft in his game. Like he sometimes makes some really nice passes. Had a, has some, some interestingly, like he had a a cool, like angled layup over Mason Plumlee in the Pistons game on Saturday, but I'm not totally sold on him as a, a a starter on a good team and he could get there. I'm not saying he he cannot, but like, I want to see how Horton Tucker holds up defensively in the, you know, in those more competitive games and over a larger sample than we've seen so far. So I don't think that those crazy contract offers are there right now. But the thing that has to scare the stuffing out of the Lakers is that there really are not that many enticing players. And so it doesn't take much for somebody to fall in love and they could they could end up getting screwed because teams get excited about potential.
1: Yeah, what intrigues about Talon Horton Tucker is that he has shown a facility in a lot of different areas. He's got the long arms. He's got pretty good strength. Moves his feet well, not incredibly well, I would say. Quite yet, he's shooting 33% from three. He's got some off-the-dribble creativity. He honed his off-the-dribble game, pick-and-roll game a little bit in the G League. Last year, he can pass a little bit. He can get on transition. transition. Uh, he's pretty stout. So there are a lot of things that... Are exciting about him and if a couple of those skills really pop then you've really got something and i think he can it, when you said you don't necessarily see him being a starter on a high level team what is the deficiency to you day
2: I'm not totally sold on THT's jump shot yet. You know, like the idea of being, and that as a starter, you're going to have a lot of capable playmakers out there and he can work as a connector. I mean, he's made some really nice some really nice plays in that respect, but it's just, he, the things that he's good at, I think you're going to have players who are better at those. And he needs to be, to me then, to be very good defensively. And he has the potential to be, but I want to see it a little bit more.
1: What about this question here from Jake Williams? what's up with ad this year he's probably just coasting but i was all geared up to start asking if lebron and ad are the greatest duo ever
2: i think a big part of it in terms of ad's offensive role is that they're not i mean you could kind of do this in both ways it's not maximum ad like that's and that is 100 the correct decision by frank vogel and the lakers to not do to not push him as hard to not put ad in those circumstances because it appears that puts more miles on his tires the lakers do not need that to be the best team in the west they're the best team in the west anyway and so playing ad next to a center that you get less opportunities in pick and roll he's not around the basket as much to be the he was the best defensive player in the playoffs last year he's just not getting that same opportunity
1: yeah so lineups with ad at center so far it's only been 168 possessions so basically a game and a half they are plus 27 yep per 100 possessions and but again not not a ton there and i think it's very interesting to me because ad has long not wanted to play center but he also is not going to be in the mvp consideration this year and it's just hard for him to put up numbers he's spending a lot of time hanging out on the perimeter yes i i would say that his efficiency has not been what you would have hoped like you know at this point i think anthony davis with all the weapons that they have should be above 60 percent true shooting he's been down as an offensive rebounder as well and it, down a little bit even in just his overall scoring touches and we talked earlier about how harrell in particular takes away touches from they play ad and harrell together a lot they also put ad at the four in those lineups And. So I don't really think it has anything to do with him not being as good. I think it's just simply that he's just not in the same position to put up numbers as before. And, you know, Dennis Schroeder is taking up more shots as well. He's not really a great passer to set up AD either. They're just that LeBron James AD pick and roll. We just haven't seen as much of that this year.
2: Something to keep an eye on AD's free throw attempt rate has gone down pretty significantly this year and
1: For whatever reason another thing, because they used to get all those post-ups as well. He's not getting those as much. Also,
2: for whatever reason, 80 is a career 80% free throw shooter. He's 70% so far this year. So that's hurting his efficiency as well. Just bumping that up, bumping that up 10%
1: would help would help. Okay, let's move on to our next team here. That is the Grizz.
2: Yeah, Memphis. They've still only played 18 games. They're nine and nine, three and three since the last 15 and 60 negative 1.7 net rating is 18th in the league. They're doing it on defense. They're 24th in offense, 7th in defense. 538 projects them to win 32 games, which would be tied for 12th in the West. Big difference between Raptor and Elo because they've been, they've been when they've played recently, they've, they've had some really nice games. Um, 18% Raptor, 53% Elo. Uh, we, this is an interesting. I, I just haven't thought of this as a concept from, from Harry Palin. Is Justice Winslow actually going to be a positive for the Grizzlies immediate future, or should they consider packaging with picks and other guys to try to go all in. I don't know what a Justice Winslow package would look like. He hasn't played in so long. You I think he's in the circumstance where you can't sell on him because you it would it might not be selling as low as it gets, but I don't even know what team is buying. And so I wanted to look it up. Winslow, the last game he played in was January eighth, twenty twenty, and that is the only game he played in all of twenty twenty. He he missed a month between between that one and the previous one he had played in that. Uh, you know, and so the idea that Winslow can that you can kind of sell him that you can that you can get something for Winslow at this moment in time to make that all in trade, and also like the this front office has done a very good job, and I'm not giving them deference on the Justice Winslow part of it. But the theory behind Winslow, if he can deliver, would actually still be useful. I mean, a wing defender for them who can, you know, hopefully hit open shots and who can be a secondary or tertiary creator, depending on which lineup he's in that type of player would actually help them. So I don't I don't know why you would sell on him now when nobody else is valuing Winslow and he could potentially fit.
1: Yeah, they brought him in to give him a little bit more of a point forward look and to be their wing stopper and hopefully be able to do a little bit more offensively than Kyle Anderson, who is a little slow foot to guard the absolute best guys as well. And we just went through it, right? With, with uh, the discussion about the 3 and D players who are available for Denver. Justice Winslow, like Denver would probably be pretty interested in Justice <laughs> Winslow right now, right? I, I think so. And they got that team option on him also. So that's a, an important bit. If you were just going to be a free agent at the end of the year, then maybe it's different. So they obviously made an evaluation that he can really help them part of why i at least defended that trade to some degree even though i thought in terms of the bad money that they took on this year that they took on a a lot with uh waiters and james johnson but they made the evaluation that they needed a guy like this they aren't out there they don't grow on trees and so if he can get healthy and play and they and the. It would be foolish to just move him before he's even played for the team. Let's do this one here. Liam Hall asks, is what Memphis is doing defensively unsustainable?
2: I think it is sustainable. And you look kind of one way to think about this is the four factors. Memphis is currently seventh in defensive rating the four factor they're best in is forcing turnovers totally plausible that that could continue they're not a great defensive rebounding team that's going to continue but they could maybe be a little bit worse we'll see what happens with their full lineup they're not fouling a ton maybe with jaron jackson that gets a little bit worse and then a lot of times like you and i have come up a lot with the knicks and the hawks so far this year you talk about teams that like what's unsustainable is opponents are shooting really poorly from three against them opponents are shooting well from three against memphis they are giving up the sixth highest opponent three-point shooting percentage during non-garbage time minutes so so that could improve and, you know, maybe if there are a few little elements like teams are just missing a ton of shots against them at the rim. I think they have good rim protectors out there. You know, they have a lot of guys, even though they don't have Jaron Jackson. So there could be small pieces that could regress to the mean. But no, I think this is sustainable.
1: Yeah, uh, opponents shooting 38% from three while they are pretty high in terms of forcing turnovers fifth in the nba they are actually number one in the nba in steals per game and they're pretty high in blocks as well those are plays that generally continue to sustain that that can also lead to a defeat for the offense a steal by definition does that there's nothing they're actually having uh unlucky Actually, they've been a little lucky on free throw defense, but nothing crazy. Opponents are shooting 76% against them. I think it really just comes down to Jaron Jackson, who has not been the defensive player that everyone wanted him to be. And particularly when guys come back from a big injury, they... Just the mindset is particularly for a guy who's trying to establish value before he'll be doing an extension this offseason they do focus a little bit more on offense so i think it's really just that personnel change with jackson coming back that's most likely to change this but they got a lot you know dylan brooks is pretty good miranda's gotten better kyle anderson is one of the most underrated defensive players in basketball clark jang found Junis at least could be bigger on the rim and get some defensive rebound. So it's a, and they're well coached. So I think all that, I'm, uh, I believe that it will, I mean, they weren't going to be like the number three defense all year. I don't think, but as a top 10 unit, totally realistic to me
2: so we got a couple of questions about you know basically like who can like can memphis add a young start to this rotation and we got one including uh fr- from basically like asking if they could go after carl anthony towns from a Kegel. and i don't think memphis's assets are quite at that level especially if the idea is to pair that player with Ja and jaron jackson jr memphis's draft picks are are good like it's not like they're an unquestioned great team but like if you're comparing it yeah. to AD.
1: well yeah let's let, let's go through what they have here they They've got uh, that 2024 Golden State first top four protected, and they've got this uh, 2021 Utah pick that almost certainly is going to convey in 22 when it is top six protected.
2: So I, I, the Warriors pick could end up being good, but if you're talking like present value, at least this year or next year, I think people will still be optimistic. There are a lot of, we just talked about the depth of this Grizzlies team, you know, guys like Brooks and Melton and all that, but a lot of them are are either properly paid or close to it. So there isn't a lot of surplus value there so i, I like brandon Cork. i like some of the other guys but i don't think they can get to that real blue chip level where you're getting you know but if, if the idea is a third star somebody who's just pretty like who's good but who's, who's not amazing i mean sure if you want to cash everything in for that but for somebody like towns i don't think they have enough
1: yeah and then you get to the point where such a player is going to have two years or fewer left on his contract and the idea of him wanting to stay in memphis becomes a potential issue though i mean I would love to play with John Morant <laughs> and, and, and eat some barbecue. Let's uh move on here to the wolves. They are six and seventeen three and nine since the last 15 and 60 still without Carl Towns who's slowly trying to work his way back uh, from COVID-19 30th in the NBA negative 9.1 net rating that's actually gotten better they've been competitive at least in some games recently although not against exactly the best opposition in the world like didn't they they just lost did they beat OKC in one of those two games
2: yeah they they did they they, no, they beat him and they beat him in the first one lost to him in the second one both were decided by three or fewer
1: yeah but they remain 29th on offense And actually up to 23rd on defense helped, I think, by that schedule. Shea Gilgis-Alexander didn't play, by the way, in one of those two games against OKC. They do project for 15th in the West with 25 wins and uh, unlikely to make the playoffs per the projection systems.
2: (laughs) We can start with this one from at Thomas. Wolves Twitter has been calling for Ryan Saunders' head for a few weeks now. Also, what is your take on his coaching job? Also, please send help. help is not on yeah. the way but well, hope... well
1: and he said he said versus the poor, poor roster. roster construction which i think is an important part of it, the question it
2: is an important part and just like Garrison rosas we give him a little bit of a pass just because he was handed a pretty bad hand other than the first you know getting the first overall pick pretty quickly this isn't yeah
1: i i don't give him a pass at all i think he's been like the worst executive well
2: no but what i mean by year. that is like he didn't sign the wiggins contract and some of the other like greatest sins that are yeah. impacting J-Jang. them jang yeah, yeah he didn't yeah. he didn't do those things however he has not done a good job with a bad hand but for me with with saunders i don't think that the team like there isn't a clear positive identity for them there was that time when they if towns was playing more like that he really let towns go that was pretty fun um but generally speaking they haven't really you know Know, we say the thing that a coach is most important is playing above their talent level defensively. I don't think the Wolves have particularly done that at any po- at any point in the recent past. And there isn't some sort of like unbridled offensive creativity from them. I don't think he's been, you know, like horrendous or anything like that, but to me if you don't think your coach is one of those clear value adds, they a the team should cycle more quickly. I don't think Ryan Saunders is one of those clear value adds.
1: I would put it more on the roster than the coach at this point in time and also injuries as well. I mean, Carl yes. Towns famously they have like a six net rating with him on the floor he just hasn't been there I mean, pretty crazy that Carl Towns obviously the COVID-19 thing is a different animal but that it was basically the league's Iron Man, and then all of a sudden these last two years it has been beset but I mean if you just look at this the Ricky Rubio move he's been awful this year that hasn't worked out at all they have been starting to do better with some of these Washington guys Noel and Jaden McDaniels on the floor and Jared Vanderbilt has been a nice find that they got for free But as we look at the roster, they've got Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, and Blank, basically, who's been available as an established rotation player in the NBA. And I put that more on the GM than I do. And just having no threes no fours and no backup five on the roster and to trade for ricky rubio in that salary slot where you're i mean i guess that was kind of unusual but they did take on the 18 million for next year and they couldn't Um, use
2: the mid-level exception
1: right right so and you know james johnson actually probably would have been like the best four on this team um and they had Jordan McLaughlin, I think he could have been adequate as a backup point guard. So I, I think they just didn't assess what they really needed here, ultimately.
2: It's an interesting one from Leto and then a bunch of numbers. Bit of a thought experiment question. With Carl Towns out, who is the most positive or least late negative Timberwolf in terms of their effect on winning?
1: oh what do you think
2: I think I'd go with Malik Beasley just because the th- the things yeah, like he's been efficient as a scorer so far and not turning it over not that he, he would really expect that from Beasley and his defense has been you know I, as I've watched them it's been okay it hasn't been completely ridiculous and so you at, at the two guard spot or you know he's playing some of the three just because they've been so hilariously injured and small in the first place that's totally fine like I don't think there's anything wrong there and while I think Russell is a more talented player and you know like his ceiling is is higher he's He's been worse defensively and the offense hasn't really been there so far for Russell. So if I'm to say who has been the most helpful so far, I'm going Malik Beasley.
1: Yeah, and we had a couple of questions here from Blake and Jeff about the first and second year guys. I wouldn't necessarily put Jared Culver in that category, uh, but I do think that Vanderbilt, McDaniels, Noel, those are guys I'm looking forward to locking in on a little bit more as we get into the more traditional 15 and 60s in future weeks. Let's move on to the Pels.
2: Yeah, the Pels are 10 and 12, 5-5 since the last 1560, including their win over the Memphis Grizzlies on Saturday night. The Pels are negative 2.1 in net rating. That's 21st in the league, 12th in offense, 26th in defense, 538 projects them to win. 35 games, which would be 10th in the in the West, 41% playoffs Raptor, 30% playoffs ELO.
1: Yeah, so we had a similar question to this in the Grizz section, but uh, Martin Pilka asks, are we sure that Zion is going to impact winning more than Ja And no, not at all. No. I, I think I, I would probably go with Ja at this point in time, but it really could go either way. And Zion's been playing a little bit better defensively lately. Stan Van Guttie has been singing his praises and said he had his best defensive game in the last couple of weeks. Again, that's damning with faint praise. And the other thing is that Zion isn't being put in the best situation to succeed, although fair to note that that Pell's starting lineup, and basically whenever steven adams has been out there has been pretty effective um so it really all comes down to zion's defense and then how much is he going to be a guy who's actually creating the offense as opposed to just kind of finishing he's one of the best garbage guys around the hoop he's had a 30 percent usage last year basically just by not even really having plays run for him or at least like quick hitters where he could get right into the lane and score but are you going to be able to post him up is he going to do more facing the basket can he do a big small pick and roll. Can he set guys up for three pointers? Are you going to be able to space the floor around him? Uh, whereas Jaw, he's very easy to fit around. You just give him the ball and pick and roll, and he goes and. So there, I think it really, I think I have a pretty decent handle on what Ja is. You know, I think he's going to be a low-level All-NBA guy at minimum if he continues on his current trajectory. And Zion, there are just so many different factors, and health uh, obviously is foremost among those as well.
2: Yeah, I'm going to do this one from Raga and Ferential. Are Zion and Ingram a good duo to build around going forward, or would you break them up at some point? It always depends <laughs> on what the offers are, but I do not think that Zion and Ingram are a are a good fit together some of that is just watching the way their offense flows or doesn't there's been some better stuff between those two guys more recently but it's also the conceptual defensive fit Zion it doesn't look to me right now like he's defending well enough to play the five so if he has to play the four Ingram isn't really that lead wing defender either it creates some real problems and I just don't think there are real synergies for the way those guys intend to play on either end of the floor
1: Yeah, and I think it's safe to say that Ingram, he's kind of Andrew Wiggins-like defensively, where, yeah, if you're just going at him in an iso, he's going to be fine. But he can't get through a screen. He doesn't really do much as a help defender. And he needs the ball. He wants to pull up for mid-rangers, work in pick and roll. He can't really come off a screen, do much off the ball either. And that's not the greatest fit with Zion. Now, your question becomes okay, then who's your premier creator if it's not Brandon Ingram? You still, those guys don't grow on trees. It may not be a perfect fit defensively, but now that Ingram can shoot, I think it's okay offensively. So I think that they'll continue to roll it out here. I would say you don't start having that conversation maybe until next trade deadline when you really have an understanding for what zion williamson is i mean zion basically had a lost rookie year as far as just figuring out how to contribute to winning basketball and he has knock on wood been healthy so far this year so i think you just let these guys play it out ingram is pretty young too this is age 23 season and because if you move ingram i mean what are you getting danny more draft picks they have plenty of those already Are, are they are you getting a point guard but it Is it an All Star? I I don't think Ingram is not in the All Star conversation this year. So I just I don't really know what you're expecting to get here, and particularly you know this team could still make the playoffs this year, like they're not bad. So that could boost everyone's value, and everyone could feel good as well.
2: Yeah, I think you kick the can down the road. I just I think Ingram he he's so comfortable, like he likes having the ball in his hands, and some of that stuff just gets tough. But I agree with you, it it would have to be for the right thing. So I think you're listening, but you're not necessarily jumping on it. I don't have a perfect fit in mind. Uh, in, in terms of everything, we got a question about like, wouldn't, wouldn't Miles Turner be a great fit there? The answer from zero to hero. The answer is yes. Like you and I both advocated for that to happen. And remember that New Orleans gave up a pick in the Stephen Adams deal and the conceptual fit of, of Miles Turner and Zion was excellent. I lament it all the time.
1: Yeah. And Take this with a grain of salt because this is really kind of third hand, but for what I was told, there just wasn't any interest from the Pels in Miles Turner this offseason that 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 was something that at one point was floated to them and they just didn't want to do it. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's hit this one from a Kyle Fair. Supposing Lonzo's defense stays just a tier below all D, which percentage and volume on threes would he need to get 20 million a year? I'm not sure that I put him as a tier below all defense because I just don't think he's that good on ball and he also can't really guard threes he's not really big enough or or strong enough for that is a good help defender not unbelievable getting through screens or tracking shooters off the ball i think he's a solid team defender but i think he's pretty average as an on ball guy so uh you know i think he's for for us to say that he's worth 20 million a year i mean he would have to be like a real plus shooter i would say well
2: i mean so I think the three-pointer has been used as a shorthand for Lonzo as an overall offensive player, and like he's still not getting to the line at all. He has there. There are some limited signs of him being a little bit better as a pick and roll scorer, but if he's primarily a secondary creator who like who is pretty good defensively, that's not a twenty million a year guy. Just isn't.
1: Yeah, and you said it. The reason there's this focus on his three-pointer is because he's not really doing that much else. um, Let's get to OKC ten and twelve. still somehow four and six thunder over baby yeah yeah well if if, if, let's let's see what their uh eventual point differential this season (laughs) hey hey it worked
2: for hornets over baby it can work again
1: yeah i mean they're on track to what win like five more games (laughs) than expected right now and they're 10 and 12 but they're uh 28th in the nba in net rating negative 6.6 they're 28th on offense 19th on defense
2: so so nate you understated it they've if you use clean the glasses filter they've already outperformed their point differential by 3.4 games
1: (laughs) yeah i mean it's a lot right and yeah they've been better than expected but al horford george hill hard to see how much longer these guys going to be around or how much they're going to play you did mention that poku going to the g-league bubble might uh might help your over as well yes but uh, but to finish up their 19th on defense projecting for 14th in the West with 27 wins, 3% chance of playoffs per Raptor, only 12%. For elo so clearly there's a belief that that 10 and 12 record is rather overstating their performance today um let's uh this is a good one from uh craig lavoy how soon would you feel comfortable saying that the thunder made a coaching upgrade
2: it's gonna take a little bit longer just because we're we're figuring out their roster and everything else but i i think not i'm gonna get it wrong for the rest. i'm just i, I kind of feel like i should just say it the french way I, I think that they've done a good job and the thunder they've they've defended you know like guys have executed they're not not getting lost as much as I expected because remember not only is this a team that changed over the roster a lot this is an extraordinarily young team a lot of the time so I think I think they've been better overall than I anticipated on that end and that's been good Billy Donovan you, you and I've never been the biggest supporters of him so I think it's going to take me more time
1: yeah and we haven't seen Mark Dignalt in the playoffs obviously and where I think Donovan had his good playoffs and his bad playoffs and also had rosters that weren't particularly versatile at times uh, So and
0: I, I, sorry, yeah.
2: one thing I wanna I wanna keep an eye on, and this is just gonna be me watching more film on The Thunder, even though I enjoy them, is they've fouled extremely at an extremely low rate so far in terms of like opponent free throw attempt rate. I need to watch more to see whether that I think that is sustainable because that is is and they're also getting some opponent shooting luck so far. If that is like something that this team can do that can be a part of their defensive identity, it would really help.
1: Yeah, although they also can't stop anybody at the rim. Right. Which is so that kind of makes you think that they're just not close enough exactly. to
2: follow them. It, the, 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 yeah. That was the Nuggets a couple years ago had that problem.
1: Yeah, although have it, I think having someone like Lou Dort for a young team like this, that you can just throw on the other team's best scorer on a nightly basis, someone who, and he'll get into foul trouble every once in a while, but to just be like a guy who's not going to just Get his butt kicked and put you into an emergency rotation that does really help it in terms of not following. This is a good one for a big match. Uh, how will you rank the young prospects of OKC in terms of realistic potential? Obviously, Shea Gil's Alexander is first, but uh, who you got next after that?
2: I, I get if we're counting Lou Dort, then he's pretty clearly second to me. Um, he's 21, so I think he should. Yeah. I I don't know if it's my weakness towards French players. I've been intrigued by Tao Maloudon so far this year. It's not every moment of, of the game, and I like the flashes from Beasley more. But every once in a while, Maladon does something. Maladon does something that I go, okay, maybe he has the athleticism to pull this off. Those those would probably be the next two for me.
1: Yeah, uh, Darius Beasley. I guess I probably would put him ahead of Maladon just because. I don't know that maldon has the athleticism to really be a star whereas Basley does I, I could see Maladon having a higher median outcome even if Basley is it has the higher upside but i, I like those kind of lamar s flashes that we've seen from Basley, even if it, he's still nowhere close to being efficient and then i probably would throw in i mean i guess it's down to poku or Ropie at that point right am i missing anybody i
2: mean diallo is probably
1: somewhere yeah I don't know what to make of him yeah I guess I guess he'd probably got to be ahead of either of those two guys just with some of the production that he's had this year and I guess I'd put Poku ahead of Roby just because I don't know he's intriguing even though I'm not not a huge believer Roby's been better than
2: I expected though I remember when he got dumped to that when that when that deal happened I was just like I hadn't seen much from him but seen some signs so far
1: okay quick lightning here gets more guaranteed money and extension this offseason michael porter jr or shay Gilgis alexander i would say shay yeah uh he's he's gonna get the max uh whereas i'm not sure about that from porter particularly because porter could like either shay doesn't get hurt porter gets hurt uh or it has a medical background and does a bunch of stupid shit as well um and also and, and then, then yeah. the nuggets
2: do pay their own guys but this might be a more complicated situation especially with their long-term books
1: well and in particular too you know maybe it ends up kind of like a more of a four-year thing maybe some non-guarantees injury protection on the porter deal all right the suns 13 and 9 6 and 5 since the last 15 and 60 6th in the nba with a plus 3.4 net rating 17th on offense i would consider that a disappointment but fourth on defense which is better than i thought it would be just a little uh, other than mikhail bridges there's a little bit of a smoke and mirrors aspect to that you don't really see anyone that you view as just this awesome defender. I mean, Chris well, Paul is always still good.
2: Well, but. and remember that those weird anomalies that I talked about earlier in the season about the, the non Ayton defense, like which, yeah, never and, seems and, sustainable.
1: And, yeah, now Sharich is gonna, is gonna be out for a little bit while longer as well. Um, uh, but they project for 42 wins, which would be fifth in the West. Eighty nine percent chance of the playoffs per Raptor, seventy four percent ELO. What we got for questions?
2: Actually I just want to give an update on that. Cleaning the glasses, garbage time filter included. The rap the sorry, the Suns have a one oh one point six defensive rating when Ayton is not on the floor. That is completely ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and I just I don't buy that continuing I'm sorry like I I mean let me ask you this Danny if you had to guess where they end the year in defense
2: I would say probably somewhere around 10th which would involve some of the anomalous stuff I think they're probably closer to 13th to 15th in terms of talent and even that might be a little strong their bench defense shouldn't be this good
1: I expect them to get better offensively though oh yeah I think Booker and Paul will get a little bit better of a rhythm and I think Booker in particular another one of these uh, bubble stars Western Conference shooting guards who i know murray's like kind of a point guard but uh who haven't really been able to build on what they did there yet uh
2: I, I want to start with a, a, a question from Limited Pancakes, interesting handle. Uh, do you expect the Suns to be a better or worse team two years from now? And the Suns have a ton of holdover talent. Also, you know, like Jay Crowder and Sharich are under contract for the 22 23 season, but Chris Paul is not. And so the question is kind of like if Chris Paul leaves, which is far from a certainty, will they get more from Ayton and Booker and Mikhail Bridges, and that and Cam Johnson? I think they might be a little bit worse, but I hope that if Chris Paul is not there, then they'll have something figured out at the position. But that's what gives me real pause
1: yeah i suppose so and with booker ayton and mikhail bridges i mean i think all those guys are going to end up with 20 million dollars a year or over it's like counting your team yeah at at that point booker will be making 30 well and and... you get
2: into the issues like i mean we've seen a couple teams with this with cam johnson like if cam johnson is a starter on this team kind of moving at at, by that point he's going to get decent money too and then it really starts to ratchet up
1: yeah so mark jones uh, on the same vein Asked about Mikhail Bridges and extension and OG Ananobi, I think, is a pretty decent analog. He got what 472, so it's 18 million a year. I think Bridges might get a little bit more than that. Uh and yeah, I, I see that coming in at kind of 20 a year. I think maybe 22. He's talking about you don't want to put him on the max. I think that's he doesn't really have the scoring potential. So I, I don't see it. now maybe it could get into the point where they go into restricted free agency and he just gets an auto porter style offer but i think teams have figured out that like you just can't give the max to a player unless it's like a Rudy Gobert bear type of defensive player uh unless he really has some offensive upside so i, I think that settles into you know the 19 to 22 million dollar a year range
2: and it is good for james jones that we're going to get a lot more information about how bridges fits in their offense the overall shooting like yeah if he if he continues to make 38 percent of his threes taking six per 36 basically yep yeah, like th- then that's a really valuable player but right Right now, I still need to see a lot more. I love Mikael Just have for basically the whole time.
1: Yeah, uh, Mike Schwartz finally convinced me that he was really good before the start of last year, and uh, I I was late to that party, but I'm I'm on board now. Force Master 76, Booker or CP3, who should be the Suns All-Star?
2: I think Chris Paul's played better than Booker so far this year. I mean, Booker has been has been pretty disappointing, and I, I don't think that's representative. Like, I don't think that Booker is going to be this guy moving forward, but Chris Paul, I think that he's been a, a consistent, a more positive force on the offense and paul is of course a better defender than devin booker
1: well what do you make of the fact that they have just destroyed people with booker on and paul off anything
2: not yet I, I i think that we're i think we're still in small sample size theater a little bit there
1: i mean it's pretty crazy to think that devin booker has a 14.8 pr right now like that and you know it doesn't seem like he's doing it so much worse he's but it just seems like little declines every year we had another question about his playmaking being down, which is not amazing. And, you know, last year it was 62% true shooting. That's a, a little bit of an outlier and his playmaking went down a little bit. He's, his rebounding is down this year, but usage is about the same. He's turning it over a lot more. And I think he just hasn't been getting his points in the flow of the offense, the way he was, uh, playing with rookie Rubio last year there just hasn't been as as much of that it's been a lot more stationization transition uh has not been as effective for him So my hope is that he can turn it around and get back to being like a clear all-star. But I I probably wouldn't have either of them out of the all-star team, frankly. I know there's this idea, oh, they're going to be the five seed. How could they not have an all-star? They should have an all-star. I mean, that's the same thinking that gets you uh, some of the worst all-star selections we have, uh, Wally Serbiak or uh, take your pick. But I I don't think, I mean, I would have to really go through it in greater detail, which we haven't done yet. But you know, certainly neither of them are in serious all-NBA consideration where I had Booker right in there last year.
2: Let's go to the Portland Trailblazers the Blazers are twelve and ten, muddling through. their four and five since the last fifteen sixty, as they've been dealing with all of these different injury woes. I, I mean, that's pretty good. I would agree
1: for for with Nurkic and CJ out, and, and
2: Willard missed some time too. So they did yeah, get Derek that Jones is they, out. They, they like, did they, get that they've... crazy win over the Sixers. Um,
1: yeah, and, and the crazy win over the Bulls too, for that matter. True.
2: Um, negative 0.9 net rating is sixteenth in the league. They're sixth in offense, 29th in defense. Five thirty eight projects them to win thirty eight games which would be a tie for six in the West, 62% chance of making the playoffs on Raptor, 50% straight even on Elo. All
1: right, this is a fun one. Joshua P, Gary Trent Jr. versus Andrew Wiggins. If you could sign either today for four years at the full mid-level, which one, uh... that's tough because i think wiggins gives you a little bit more as a one-on-one defender you do need that i probably would go with trent he's also a little bit younger i think he just plays artery, spaces the floor i i I like him a little better that's a tough one though um i mean the full mid-level is probably not enough for either of those guys though i would agree realistically
2: yeah i would say it's it's not enough for either of them and gary trent this year he's he's a good shooter i don't personally think he's a 44 percent shooter on 8.8 per 36 minutes like I, i i'm not there yet with with do,
1: do you uh do you want to make a bet on his three point percentage the rest of the year uh
2: i don't think i, I,
1: I, I don't... i'm I will, well here i i will propose the bet you can either take it or not okay um that he will shoot over 40 percent from three from this point on the rest of the year
2: no i think he could do that I just don't okay. think he's like at forty three percent.
1: Okay, yeah, but I mean, w- once you hit that magic forty sure. percent number, you're you're pretty fucking good.
2: Oh, oh, he's really good, and and I would rather take you know like a less vers a slightly less versatile defender for that. There's a lot more places that you can fit Gary Trent Jr. You need to think about that that role within an offense. I wish he was doing better from two. Like, not that that's necessarily Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins has been, from what I recall, pretty hit or miss there. GTJ doesn't get to the line at all. But I I like him better. I would rather take him.
1: Yeah, particularly, I I think it's... Yeah. It just kind of depends what you need uh, on your team as well. Uh, I I do think that you just don't want to fall into the, the old Wiggins trap here. Glenn Simonson asks about the trade value of Anthony Simons, uh, who has been shooting it better lately. Still doesn't really get to the line at all. Still pretty much a one trick pony taking 68% of his shots from downtown uh but he at least never turns it over because he shoots it before he has the chance to to do that still only 21 here in in his now third season uh, amazingly enough i I mean i don't really see what i guess the the point of trading him would be to bring in another veteran or something and they're already out the two first round picks although i guess one of them was last year but um
2: yeah i I, well here's here's what i I would say does anybody want him if you could get value for him do it i don't i'm not a believer in Anthony simon i i don't know what the theory behind him as a player of value on a good team is like i don't think he's a good enough creator and he can you know like he can shoot but he's not like i don't think of him as an unbelievably good you know like as as a a transformational shooter enough i'm not
1: he's such an odd player where it's like one of the most valuable skills in the nba is shooting the three-pointer off the dribble and he does that but he does nothing else
2: so yeah I mean if if another team could if another team could value that then sure I mean I would sell high I believe in selling high
1: uh we also got a question here just asking about the gary trent jr contract this offseason it was reported that they he is not interested in an extension whether the Blazers offered the most they could give which is about four years 53 million is unknown but i think he wanted to get more than that with cj out he has been getting a chance to really sign i think he's established himself as a starting level of two guard so yeah i I think the at a minimum the contract that malik b easily got it would be kind of a starting point for me with him
2: yeah i mean i'm when i watch gary Trent, i'm thinking about a 20 million dollar a year guy that's
1: that's the way i'm thinking Oof, that's him. that's asking a lot it, it's it, it is kind of interesting really locking in on his defense too he doesn't do all that much as a help guy does he just look like he's trying hard is he actually being effective that's a, a conversation that, that i had recently um yeah you and know, it's, for, it's, for it's not like yeah. his
2: defensive playmaking is
1: is really there yeah, for reference, by the way, Beasley was four years, 60 million team option on the last year. So I, I'm thinking somewhere more along the lines of yeah, probably between 60 and 70 million guaranteed. The, I, I would, actually, especially because just these guys coming off a of second round contracts, it just, it always seems to get depressed, so i'm thinking it's going to be 55 60 million guaranteed that's what i think it's going to be i it would surprise me a little bit if it goes beyond that um but i guess you know four years 53 mi- million that they could already offer them that so maybe it will be more who knows is, all right let's move on here or, or, or do, do we have uh one more no let's we, go to think, let's go to, i think that's pretty much it for the yeah players.
2: we got a lot of basically how much is gary gonna get paid um let's move on to the sacramento kings after their victory over the clippers on sunday they are 12 and 11 seven and two since the last 15 and 60 24
1: 24- yeah what the hell.
2: Uh, negative 4.1 net rating is 24th in the NBA. They're ninth in offense, dead last in defense. 538 projects them to win 32 games, which would be tied for 12th in the West. 16% chance playoffs in Raptor. And Elo still only up to a 27% chance of making it. Um, from We could do this one from Colin Mojo. I'm guessing this was earlier in the week. Is there any optimism for Kings fans outside of the draft? Any assets on hand that could turn into something to build on? And yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty optimistic about Sacramento. And they have this unusual combination sort of in a little bit a little way like kind of Memphisy, where they have a lot of capable players on their roster and i think that can be good in a lot of respects you know not necessarily like huge trade values like maybe like harrison barnes is helping them a lot i think he's having a very nice year but that helps raise your floor a lot i think that helps make you viable and the other thing that is a reason for optimism is take a look at the lineups when fox and Halliburton are on the floor and marvin bagley is not the numbers on those are ridiculous
1: yeah and Marvin Bagley still during this season 52% true shooting and again the offensive side is supposed to be the good one for him Halliburton has been awesome 62% true shooting and playing him at the three isn't ideal at times like he's gonna struggle to guard in those matchups or Buddy Heald's a little stronger but he's no defensive stalwart either but if you just look at some of the Efficiency marks like Rashawn Holmes has been one of the most efficient players in basketball, perpetually underrated. Harrison Barnes is having a career year shooting the shit out of the ball, and uh, even with He's reduced his usage, but he's just shooting it really well right now. And Fox has been a lot more efficient of late also. To be up to ninth in offense with this group, to me, is surprising. And Halberton is very efficient as well. Interestingly enough, Buddy Heald having another pretty disappointing season with his shooting. So maybe maybe you would think about just taking Buddy Heald out of your closing lineup instead. That might be a a better idea.
2: Here's a wild one. Buddy Heald is shooting 37.4% on threes and 36.7% on twos.
1: Yeah, and he never gets to the foul line. Right. And so that that now, is a although speaking of never getting to the foul line, Tyrese Halliburton has an eight percent free throw rate right now.
2: Yeah, Halliburton getting to the line less than one time per 36 minutes. That's not great. But oh, so I'll give the stats on it. Um Fox and Halliburton on and Bagley off, plus seven point eight overall, but the lineup with Fox Halliburton Heald, Barnes and Holmes, which is about half of that, plus twenty-four
1: well and if that lineup closes for you that's part of how you're having all these close wins uh, of late and i think the kings were basically the opposite of the clippers in that set john schumann had this and i apologize for not having it actually pasted in but basically there's something like seven and four in games that they uh, were decided by five points or less and they've won like one game that was decided by more than five points something like that 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 can't be right actually because i they're 12 and 11 but it's uh Suffice to say, when you're 24th in the NBA net rating and you're over 500, you're probably winning a lot of close games. And that generally does not sustain. So let's, uh, Fluffy861, how long do we wait before Luke Walton gets fired? I mean, I guess we got to at least wait until they regress back to their point differential. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Um, also, I think like their defense is just going to be helped because they've given up on playing Bagley at center completely. Like you talked about that earlier of just like how terrible their rim protection was when Bagley played center. So they've at least gotten away from that. Um, how about this one from Daniel Fitzgerald? Uh, we talked earlier this week about nicole vucevic potentially getting traded and he wanted to see how the fit might be in sacramento uh, despite the fact that Vladdy divas is no longer there
2: it would be nice to have some floor spacing at the five but i like Rashawn holmes i don't think that they that they necessarily you know i don't want you to pull i don't want them to play those two guys together and i think the theory of vuce to sacramento would be that it would might open things up for marvin bagley but i don't think marvin bagley is good enough to justify that now if you can get him for a nothing sure but i don't really know how that happened
1: you're getting a lot of questions here about hey these kings are all playing well should they sell them off and uh yeah th- that's obviously uh a spirit of question that is close to our hearts but yeah, you know, Rashawn holmes making five million he's going to be an unrestricted free agent barnes still has two years left after this i, I think that's an interesting question like could you get two first round picks for harrison barnes robert covington got two first round picks and he's under contract basically for the same amount of time. Barnes is younger, better health record. Would a team actually be willing to give that up for Harrison Barnes? If so, I think you would have to think about it. Something about it, though... The th- the thing about Covington was he only made twelve million though, and right. Barnes makes what twenty? It's declining, but it's like an average of like twenty two or so.
2: Yeah, it, it is a twenty. So twenty two this year, twenty two point three, and then eighteen point four. Good job by Flaherty to structure that as declining. I think that helps a lot now. Yeah, um,
1: you mean good job by Ken Catinella? By
2: Ken Catinella. Yeah. yeah. Give it to give it to the person at the top of the pyramid. But yes, good job, Ken Catinella. In in terms, of, so the the challenge for Sacramento is. Okay, if they can get real assets, like if they could get two firsts for Harrison Barr, sure, then that is a different conversation. But one of the primary benefits of a trade like like that is to open up spending power. I have no idea what in the world Sacramento would do with that. Like, oh, great. Okay, so right now, roughly without their draft pick talking or with, with maybe talking like 12 to 15 million cap space, if they had 30 million in this year, that is not a strong free agent class. I don't even know what they're going to do with that. So yes, if you can get premiums for any of those guys, do it. But Holmes is the hardest one because you just have to have a calibrator of what he wants. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. If he wants to come back, I think that he's probably your best option. But if you think he's going to leave,
1: you can move him all right let's hit the san antonio spurs yes shitload of questions for the spurs here we well, do we do a the, whole podcast the, on the this. san
2: antonio spurs that we will be talking about a lot on monday as well because the spurs are one of the they're the home team in the game that we're doing for league pass the nba cast will be back at 8 30 eastern 5 30 pacific 7 30 central for those who are listening in texas the spurs are 13 and 10 and they're playing the Warriors. i forgot to mention that 13 and 10 6 and 4 since last fifteen sixty. they are dead even in net rating 0.0. 14th in the league 19th in offense 10th in defense 538 projects them to win 38 games which would be sixth in the eastern conference and the western conference sorry and both odds mid 50s in terms of playoffs
1: so let's do a different format here since we have so many questions 30 seconds on the clock you and i are going to just go down the list here 30 seconds each I, despite my proclivities, I'm not going to respond at all to what you say. You are not going to respond at all to what I say. We'll see if we can bang all these out in six minutes. I will start here. Stonecutter 7, what is a realistic expectation for San Antonio's future with the core lineup of all the young guys, Murray, White, Vassell, Kelton Johnson, Jakob Pertl. I think you could be a low-end playoff team with that group. I think you just run into the problem of not really having a star, and DeRozan has filled that role admirably, but you'd like someone who's younger and obviously has a little bit more defensive chops as well, but this is a bunch of great role players if they can find a star.
2: Uh, from Books31, based on how important DeRozan is to the Spurs this year and how well he's playing, uh, what are the odds the Spurs re him? I still think it's fairly low. Remember that they've been shorthanded, and DeRozan has been invaluable during this stretch, and I don't know what he wants, but I could imagine that San Antonio is kind of seeing the future coming so i think it's below 50 percent, maybe around 30
1: good job that was 20 seconds justin bautista derosen's offensive reliability in the fourth quarter how would you value his Clutch abilities in the upcoming offseason. When you're really talking about the playoffs, I think that DeRozan has been largely shut down in the playoffs with really good defenses, really good wing defenders. So it is useful, especially for a young team like this, to have someone to go to. And especially against bad teams, DeRozan can use his size, can draw fouls, be very effective. I think he could be a good regular season player, as he always has been. And, but, for a high level of team that's really looking to take the next step, I'm not sure that he helps you there.
2: Uh, from Tim McKay, the Spurs are typically a team that doesn't make trades. Uh, so do you feel the Spurs will maintain the status quo, try to get any return for Garrett Aldridge? Aldridge is complicated by this injury that he's dealing with, the hip thing. And I, I didn't think they would trade him anyway. Gay, their depth is important. The Spurs are looking like they could be a playoff team this year. I don't think they're going to sell off unless the team really gives them a haul, and I don't think anybody is.
1: Taco auditor. I, I would like to audit some tacos. That sounds delicious. Who should the Spurs target in free agency? I would love to see them bring back Patty Mills. I think he's a wonderful fit there. Great leader as well. Evan Fournier might be an, an interesting piece if they lose to Rosen as another guy who will fit into the Spurs ethos. Uh, other than that, I mean, there's not really a ton in terms I mean, they just need more creators. Devontae Gramp could be an interesting guy for them, uh, but they have a lot of point guards uh, already. There aren't really great guys here who will provide creation, which is the biggest thing that they need. Also could probably use a backup big as well, but we are out of time.
2: From books 31 who do you think is the most likely suitor for any of these kind of veterans on expiring contracts? Part of the reason why I don't think the Spurs are trading them is that I don't see any particularly great fits. Like, I mean, Boston has that big old trade exception. They could be a potential suitor, but in terms of really giving up treasure for them, I don't I don't see a particularly great fit for anybody's. And this one I will update you. Is there anybody that stands out to you?
1: Oh, I was already thinking about the next question Fine. since I wasn't allowed to respond because I knew it would drive me nuts if I paid attention and you said something. <laughs> I wanted to respond to it. I couldn't, That's and I fair. couldn't do it. That's totally fair. Okay, so we do have a, a few repeats here. Uh, Books thirty-one and uh Duncan Manu. I, I recognize you, Duncan Manu. You are the most relentless Spurs optimist in my mentions. uh He, Duncan Manu. We'll, we'll talk about him. He is uh, saying time to stop ripping the Bertans deal. No, it's not. They gave uh, away a guy who was good for nothing. But there's yeah, he doesn't look that great that that year uh this year but he also basically didn't play basketball (laughs) through the entire offseason during his free agency and being in latvia and i think the spurs did lose something because that bench unit with him out there was really really good well and you know Um, know
2: something else they lost i think they when they restructured the carroll deal they gave him more guaranteed money
1: um okay you want to hit the next one here we don't have to do every single one of these but we'll do one from each unique questioner
2: Sure. Um, for Mark Tremaine, uh, roster construction, have the Spurs done all they can to mitigate DeRozan's weaknesses or is there more they can do? It's really difficult to have somebody who, I, I, I think Keldon Johnson has done a nice job defensively and they, but getting somebody who could both protect the rim and space the floor, I think they kind of had to choose one or the other. They've largely gone with the spacing with, with Aldridge, but I think they've done a, a pretty good job of that overall. They have a lot of other perimeter defenders on them, so I think they've
1: done a good job. Okay, I'm going to try and hit the rest of these in my remaining 30 seconds. What do you think... Uh- Uh, John Murphy, which Spurs do you think could be quality rotation players on a contender? I think all the young guys really could be. Yep. Robert with Nell, can the Spurs get something for Lamarcus Aldridge? No, unless he starts playing a lot better. And he also kind of like Vucevic doesn't really fit in that well uh, on a contender. And uh let's both do this last one here. Uh CD028, his handle amusingly is C D 19 Uh is Keldon Johnson the Spurs' best young player.
2: I do really enjoy Keldon Johnson, but I- I'm still leaning on the bubble and gonna say Derek White.
1: Yeah, I, I guess your only concern there is 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 he really that young (laughs) like is 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 he their best prospect i guess does he have the most trade value contract independent of of any player on the team yes all right, that was awesome. Let's get to the Jazz here. 19-5, and 10-1. and one. Their only loss was that crazy Nuggets game where Nikola Jokic went for 47 and the Nuggets shot 29 out of 30 or something on three-pointers in, in the first half. Uh, they are first in net rating, plus 12.0. Fourth on offense, second on defense, projecting for 51 wins, which would be second in the Western Conference over 99% chance of making the playoffs by both the projection systems. Let's start with these questions.
2: Start with at Bryce Hendrick 14. Do you worry about the Jazz offense against a switching scheme in the playoffs? It's harder to put teams in the mix if they switch every pick and roll. Yes, I do. I, I think that the same fundamental challenges that they dealt with, and I, I was opt- I was more optimistic that they could handle it. And I don't think last year was necessarily totally representative for a couple reasons, but I do think they're going to run into limitations there. And they will also run into more limitations with their lack of defensive versatility and that's a part of why the jazz are going to need the right matchups in order to move forward even though they're having this wonderful regular season so i think you appreciate this for what it is and hope that they can defy those expectations but those concerns are still
1: uh who could be some buyout slash trade targets for the jazz at the deadline let's just talk about what we think they need first here danny
2: i would love to see them get another uh, to get another wing-sized defender i think that would be useful for for the playoffs just because they're putting a lot on a a small number of. shoulders the problem is there are extremely few of those players available i don't think like for example if trevor reza got bought out i don't think that he would go to utah He could go to somewhere like brooklyn and and probably get a better role uh,
1: another big problem for trading with utah is all their money basically is wrapped up in those top eight guys that have been so good
2: right and other than conley everybody's on a multi-season contract so you can't even do kind of one of those take on somebody who makes money over the long term
1: Yeah, I mean the the their highest paid guy outside of the top eight is Yudoko Azubuki with uh, two million bucks a year. Yeah
2: who who is a who is a rookie this year?
1: Indeed. So so that makes it a a little bit more difficult. And in terms of trading picks, they're limited as well. That pick that they owe to Memphis basically can't trade twenty one. It'll probably convey in 22. So likely you can do first allowable draft after that pick. And that's most people who are receiving that would treat it as a 2024 first rounder.
2: Oh, this is an interesting one from at Jazzy Flyfish. Is there anything that the Jazz can do in the regular season on or off the court that would increase your belief in them as a true contender come playoff time? Yeah, I think that especially with with Conley playing much better now, he's unavailable right now due to a hamstring thing. We'll see how long that lasts. But if their offense looks more dynamic, Dynamic, looks more viable, then that will make a big difference for me thinking that they can that they can hold their own against the Lakers and Clippers, which is really who we're talking about. I mean, you and I have said before that the Jazz are probably our number three playoff team in the Western Conference. So that to me, the offense is where it's going to be the inflection point for uh, my playoff hopes for them
1: yeah not liking this conley hamstring thing by the way obviously he had hamstring issues last year and you know it was described as tightness which that's one of like the biggest bullshit things that they call it at this point like oh it's tightness okay why do you have tightness well because you have a little tear in your hamstring that's why and it just depends on what the size of it is but clearly they're they're going to be very conservative with him and and he's been their best offensive player probably early on this year um it's going back to that question of what could they do i mean i think if they really dominate the la teams uh then i think in just regular season matchups when they're both at full strength that could change my opinion a little bit that's
2: a good one from ryan underscore gary does point differential correlate to postseason success at all or only regular season sometimes the analysis is inconsistent for me it depends on context i mean it it does i mean it's 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 better to have than not and it is especially for regular season success if a team is blowing out opponents or if they're outperforming their point differential you i lean more on that but the playoffs are a fundamentally different animal and a lot of especially offensively what Utah does just it works better against the bottom half of the league than the top that's true of everybody but I think that the ball and player movement stuff in particular does work a lot better and also the other huge one is that Utah is one of two teams with a consistent home court advantage that largely evaporates in the playoffs because teams get more rest and they get more time to adjust
1: yeah Utah Locke had this stat and obviously he's gonna pump up the jazz a a little bit but i think they after today's win over indiana they are now eight and four against teams that are over 500 which is a lot better than they've been in past years um yeah so uh, bpm twitter asks uh what is your expectations for the jazz this upcoming grueling schedule stretch they beat indiana today then they got boston philly a set against the clippers charlotte lakers and miami i'm i'm trusting you here bpm i'm not actually gonna look up the schedule i'm trusting that this is correct so i'm gonna say that they go that's a stretch of they already won one that's eight games i'm gonna put them at five and three over that stretch.
2: i was thinking five and three as well they would the win today was really impressive because they played a back-to-back and then an early start on on sunday as so a, a basically a day and a half later. They looked totally out of gas in the first half against the Pacers and then just outclassed them. I didn't watch the second half as closely because I was I was tuned to other games. But those types of wins, and now the schedule gets a little bit more rest-heavy, which is useful for them. I'll go 5-3, but 6-2 and two wouldn't
1: stun me. Uh, Ryan Gary, we can close on this one. Does point differential correlate to postseason success at all or only regular season? Yeah, certainly it correlates. And it probably correlates a little bit more than record, I would say. Although that effect appears to be declining. And I think this is one of the least representative regular seasons that we've ever had Uh, unfortunately ryan didn't quite have us right here he says our analysis seems inconsistent because we're high on the sixers celtics nets or nuggets as playoff teams but low on the jazz i would probably pick the jazz to beat the nuggets in the playoffs and i'm not high at all on the sixers as a playoff team i'm a little higher on the celtics and nets i would say but yeah i mean really my biggest test is just going to be trying to just game out what the matchups are going to be do you have the ability to play different styles and do you have offensive players that can really force you to put two on the ball and then how do you look during the regular season with your best guys at your best and part of the reason i think i'm a little lower on the jazz they finally got an injury here with conley is you know compared to i mean they have this ridiculous net rating now 12.1 i mean that's like an all-time type of net rating i don't think that the utah jazz are an all-time great team but they haven't had any COVID absences and this is Really, their first injury of much consequence. I know Mitchell missed like two, three games at one point, but, uh, you know they've had their top eight together and that's the way this team was built and it's looked really good so far so credit to them for that but let's see what it looks like if they have a few more injuries or if they go up against the best teams uh, who are uh, at full strength as well all right well that is it for 15 and 60 we'll be back regular 15 and 60 next week don't forget of course about the nba cast tomorrow nba league pass digital 8 30 eastern 5 30 pacific warriors Steph coming off a 57 point game actually it's funny dan i think we've had we had the warrior's with Steph coming off a 62 point game and now we have them with Steph coming off a 57 point game uh, and the Spurs are awesome as well I really enjoy that team and all their young guys so looking forward to that one tomorrow and uh, we'll be back with Dunked On Prime we may not do an episode tomorrow just because we have that cast uh, but we will get you four more this week in some form or fashion talk to you soon.
0: pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra